Ryan. Hi, Rachel. How you doing? I'm overwhelmed. We've got a big one today. I, 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 I just want to cut to the chase. We need help covering this episode. We need help, but we've got a big one. We've got a big boy today. We've got a, a huge monumental yum yum episode. We always say spoilers. Of course. If you haven't listened, if you haven't watched the television show that we're covering, and if you can read with your eyes, this says yum yum five, which or means we're Babylon voice five. Over. Yeah. We're a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast, so that doesn't mean full spoilers. We're just going to go through this, people. We don't have time. War's happening. Everything's breaking out. I, I, I can't even fathom who would have said yum yum in this episode if we had to choose just one person. I My vote's for Reefer. Oh, fuck yeah. Reefer's a great pick. He's a great Who's pick. your vote? I mean, uh, you know what? Reefer's the guy, but also... Even though Jakar's going through a lot of emotions in this episode, he could have said yum yum at any point as well. Mm-hmm. He's got YYE up the wall. Okay, let's introduce and our wait, guests wait. so that they can give their to, contribution. We have to at least say yum yum is in reference to the amazing line from Star Trek Discovery. We, we, want we to haven't make, got time to talk about we Discovery. Got time, we haven't got time. No one has time to talk about Discovery. No oh, that means that we're never doing season four. No, yes. No, no, no we're yes, doing I'm it. Free. No, 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 Rachel. No, we're going to do it one day, but not today. Today, we are joined by somebody special. We're going to give them the formal yum-yum introduction and hazing. Everybody knows that we haze our guests, but maybe this person will not get a hazing. Maybe they will. Who knows? Who are we joined by, Rachel? Who's here? Ben. Ben? (laughs) One of the flower pot men? (laughs) (laughs) Are we going to have Bill on one of these days? We are in fact <laughs> that's a yum yum hazing. It's already in effect. I don't even know what you know that. Bill and Ben, the flower pot men. Yeah, but would that make any sense to him? We'll have to find out from Ben from the last best Babylon 5 podcast. Hello Ben. That was a lie. Hey, hey, thank you. And no, I am not at all familiar with that reference. Well, so you have to type child. it into your computer, Bill and Ben, the flower pot men, and you'll see I mean, that they are children's iconic. cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're iconic. Ben, yep, yep. type it in and you'll recognize yep. them. You'll go, oh, of course, Bill and Ben. Iconic. And and my like Chrome is already finishing it and it's spelling it like with a hyphen television program and there's an extra M and E at the end, so I know it's not <laughs> from <laughs> the, the US. No, no, not not everything's <laughs> from the US, Ben. But yeah, you are nineteen fifty two. Oh, but it was rebooted in 2001. <laughs> yeah, a perfect time to bring him back. 2001, a very happy time yeah. for everyone. So, mm-hmm. uh, Ben, tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, your podcast, all of that. Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, I uh, am from, as mentioned, the last best Babylon 5 podcast. Uh, I do that with Sean and Steve, who were uh, recently on this very podcast. Uh, I've seen all of uh, Babylon 5. Uh, they have not. That's that's our hook. That's, that's mm-hmm. our thing. We all live in uh, Chicago. Uh, and yeah, I mean, in addition to that, I stream video games uh which uh sometimes i've seen uh you pop into mm-hmm. watch uh and steve and i write a comic together and i moved to chicago to do uh, uh improv and sketch comedy uh which 
I did a lot more of when I was a little less afraid to, you know, be in large rooms filled with people. Yeah. Not, not to say that I was performing to either large rooms or rooms filled with people. Or rooms. You, just on <laughs> yeah. the street. Just hazed yourself. <laughs> just, that's the thing about these Chicago boys. They haze themselves. We don't even have to write any material. They just do it to themselves. So, yeah. yeah. Just out on the street screaming at people, I'm funny, I'm funny. <laughs> and they and they clapped and they're like, wow, give this man a career in podcasting. So that's yeah. where you are at the moment. You're doing your B5 podcast. Yeah, you, you said it. You guys are a first time viewing podcast. Uh, you have seen the show before, but for people who listen to it, they don't have to worry about spoilers and any mm-hmm. of that type of stuff because you do a very good job and I commend you on uh, being able to keep the spoilers in. Although in the first few episodes you did routinely say Sheridan so I we, I did we all we all have our we all have our lapses we all have our lapses but nobody noticed uh, except for me and uh yeah but you guys are great you have a real great comedic uh leaning to your show you guys do a recap format where you go through the scenes and talk about them and riff and have some fun and kind of just uh joke around and have a good time and uh yeah, since you've seen the show, you can provide some good wisdom without spoiling anything for the, the your fellow hosts who have not seen the show before. And uh, you're yeah. their guide. Yeah, yeah. Thank, so thank you. It's been uh, a very fun. Uh, yeah, you said it. You 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 have seen Babylon Five before. So could you please inform us or give us a little bit of a deeper understanding of your history and relationship with the television series Becca? Uh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like mentally preparing the the answer to Babylon Five, and then you you throw this Becker thing at me because infamously on your podcast you did not know that Becker was a show, and you didn't know that it was not the series Benson, which was overshadowed by Steve, your fellow host, thinking that Benson was Webster. So please mm-hmm. tell us about your relationship and history with the great Ted Danson classic Becker. I mean, I I know what I, I I don't think I've ever seen an episode. I do know that that's where Terry Farrell went after Deep Space Nine. That's yeah. it. That's all I got. Uh- <laughs> what you don't know that it has uh the the lady from uh, Duckman, Private Eye from Detective. From Duckman, yeah, his sister in law. Uh, she Duckman? she replaces uh, his sister in law in Duckman. Uh, oh. She replaces uh, Terry Farrell because, in uh, spoiler alert for Becca people, uh, the, the, the writers of Becca kicked her out of the show near the end because they wanted to shake up the status quo of Becca. And they so did, Terry they got said, fucked again. It wasn't just that. It was also because they were like, oh, it's too obvious that these two will get together. So, so we're going to replace up. her. With and a then new character. They, and then they just put her. Put him together with her replacement. So Becker's a great show. Uh, I was show. I was going to ask: Is Becker actually like I love Ted Danson? It's a great He's show. A, it's a yeah. great show. Okay. Look, Santa, the traditional greeting is ho ho ho. You have a pretty girl walks by and you just say ho. She has every right to deck you. <laughs> I can't wait for the last best Becker podcast uh, from you guys. So looking forward to that. Uh, but no, seriously, tell us about your relationship with B Five. Sure. Uh, so when I was in college, uh, I had this friend, Scott, who was this hardcore Babylon 5 fan 
who um if you brought up any other show uh any other sci-fi show uh he would say bevelant five's better Mm -hmm. and that would be to to anything so it's like if and i wasn't i actually didn't get into to star trek until a while after that um but this was when i was going to college was uh when uh battlestar galactica uh which i'm an enormous fan of uh, and we are currently uh watching ourselves rachel for the first time me for the second time and uh watching b5 and battlestar at the same time hmm, it's interesting to say the least oh yeah well it's a very it's a very large difference in storytelling styles i think as you like uh i think jms has said that ron moore reached out to him when they were developing uh bsg like for for some input on how he put together his plan and i mean he absolutely didn't take any of the advice uh and i love that show (laughs) (laughs) let's just say b5 has a lot of things to say about religion and battlestar has some things to say that's how i'll put it yeah well the (laughs) galactica also comes from and now we're we're getting a field it's a remake of a show that was made by i believe a a committed mormon yeah Um, it shows it shows it shows um but yeah so you were saying like you you were getting into this sci-fi realm a little bit around this time but you so what you were not the biggest sci-fi like trek fan or whatever in your youth youth like you were kind of getting into it a bit later as a way uh when i was a kid for whatever reason i missed like i saw uh star trek uh, TOS in some episodes of TNG, like in syndication, but it wasn't something I closely watched. I really got into Sliders and then later um, uh, Farscape uh, because those were on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel, and I was 13 years old, so it was perfect. Um, but uh, Babylon Five, so yeah, there there was this guy in in college, and he just kept saying like, "Oh no, you, you know, you got to watch Babylon Five. and so he finally got to me and i just started watching it uh just around when i graduated so this would have been uh 2008 and uh that was so i have a lot of memory of uh just moving to chicago because i that was right uh like i moved right after i graduated um and being in a completely empty apartment room because my bed hadn't arrived yet and i didn't have a job yet or anything like and i'm just in a completely empty room with a laptop and i and uh i'm watching episodes of uh babylon 5 uh and uh yeah so that's my memory of it is watching it when i had an enormous amount of free time from that like transit transition period between school and getting like an actual adult career is i was like all right well i'm not doing anything so i'm just gonna watch babylon 5 all day that's that's how that happened and evidently you enjoyed it enough i imagine you've watched it more than once since then Mm -hmm. and uh, you're doing your podcast about it so evidently uh your friend uh his comments had some uh some truth to them for you yeah uh i and i messaged oh go ahead sorry oh i was just gonna make the joke in this case scotty does know scotty does know (laughs) 
That's I, some Scotty hazing there for you. Yeah. And I, I've been message like I, I sent him, I haven't talked to him in, in a while, but I like sent him like a, like a Facebook message a couple like months ago. And I'm like, look, I'm even doing a Babylon five podcast now. <laughs> and it, like, I saw it was received, but not responded to. So Scott, you need to, you know, you need to, uh, let me know if you're listening. Yeah. Scott, get on the pod. Come on. Yeah, get your exactly. shit together, Scott. Scott! Ben, who's your YYE candidate? Uh, before we go into the big things, who's your person who would say yum yum? Because you've watched Star Trek Discovery, you know the yum yum moment. It's iconic. Oh yeah, I, I I do, and I I think I I'm I'm gonna go along with Rifa because when I rewatched it just today, I was really taken. That's a uh, William Forward, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the actor. Yeah. I was really taken by. Just how much fun he was having oh, yeah. with that performance. He is so evil in this episode. He's an underrated. He's an underrated character and performer in B five. I think Reef is. He becomes amazing. a literal ham in this episode. Oh, for he's me. fucking wringing like, his hands with evil. It goes beyond. It goes beyond hamming it up. He just is ham. So yeah, Reef is a great choice, and you're right. Like rewatching it. He's, we have a consensus. We have a consensus. Like I, I do say Reefer myself as well, but Jakar had some YYE in moments. He had some fun moments as well uh, underneath the tears. The the yum yum scene for Jakar is the, the scene before Franklin <laughs> uh, comes in and he has that like extremely theatrical monologue. <laughs> Where he's that, talking that to the TV feels, screen, yeah. Yeah, that has intense yum yum energy, absolutely. But Rifa, I loved watching uh, that actor's hands. Like yeah. he, he kept waving them around and doing all sorts of stuff. It was wild. Like I really, really just zeroed in on him uh, this time. I watched it, and uh, I'll say too to give Rifa some credit as well. The actor William Forward, he, um, I feel like out of any of every Centauri, including even Peter Jurisic, he's the one who really knows how to use his head to emphasize things with the hair. Like, the way he holds his head really kind of gives you a lot from his character because the way his his hair is, he just, he really knows how to work the wig on that head of his to really emphasize some points. Yeah, It's very interesting. I've never thought about it until this rewatch as well. And I was also looking at his hands. But uh, let's get into The Coming of Shadows, Ben. We have given you the DVD description. What does it have to say about this one? The Coming of Shadows. He comes in peace, but brings conflict. The arrival of the aged Centauri Emperor, Turan Bey, puts rival ambassadors Malari and Jakar at the forefront of a string of schemes, murders, and misunderstandings. Wow. This is, uh, The Coming of Shadows. It's the one that's on the DVD cover, so you know it's, uh, it's going to be important. It's the name of the season, uh... I'll go into my history with this. I remember being absolutely... uh, My jaw was on the floor. I've said this before about one or two other episodes in B5, but uh, I remember when I saw this as a kid, and I said to myself, you can't do that. You can't do that. (laughs) You're not allowed. Sci-fi shows aren't allowed to do these big things until five seasons in or until or if they're a show that they know that they're going to get cancelled. So they really want... This isn't a finale. This, this this isn't a show that's about to be cancelled like Space Above and Beyond or, or Firefly or something. Or And this this is season two, episode nine. You can't do this in the ninth episode of 22 in the season. I was mm-hmm. just... 
I my jaw hit the floor. I was I was also like, you can't turn the comedy guy into a mass murdering villain. You can't do that. Quark is funny. So Quark, like, I, I relate DS9 and all these other characters who, like, they're funny characters, they do bad things, but by the end of the episode, it's washed off. And you don't care that Quark wanted Major Kira's image for a sex program because he's a lovable lad. Here, it's just or like... Or he wanted to kill Dax Or he wanted to kill... Yeah, he I, to, yeah that, and it's that like, one... I always have difficulty understanding Quark coming back from that when he nearly kills Dax. That that one, every time I'm like, I have to erase this episode in my mind <laughs> in order to have, uh, understand them keeping Quark around. And I was just... I didn't even know how to process this one when I first saw it because there's so <laughs> much being set up clearly. And that's another thing too. I was like, you can't keep setting things up. You can't keep doing that. You gotta have <laughs> answers to things. Are you gonna be like? Because this was also. I grew up in the age of heroes and lost, in which I was bamboozled and fooled into thinking that questions will get answers that are satisfying. So I was also like, you can't do that. This isn't gonna work. I was. I was in disbelief. I was in awe. I was in shock. This and is too much. It was an overload. I and also. I also felt like, am I watching the same show? Because every single element was like out of 10 you know and mm-hmm. even with shows i like like quantum leap and deep space nine even with their greatest episodes i would never say that every single thing felt like it was like out of 10 and i say that obviously in the context like b5 is a lower budget show i understand that you know special effects and some of that stuff isn't going to be a 10 by today's standards but you know what i'm saying like in the context they're like, giving everything 10 out of 10 into clicking into gear you can't you no way no, this can't be. And so that's my reaction <laughs> in history. What about you, Rachel? You saw that this was on the cover of the DVD and you knew with Signs and Portents being on the previous DVD cover, this was going to be a monumental one. I knew that it was going to be a turning point. And like you, I was overwhelmed. And I remember after we watched the episode together for like my first time and you were like, so, and I'm like, no, I need silence. <laughs> I need to stop and digest and maybe immediately rewatch it because I'm like, I know that there's a bunch of things that I missed that are going to be important because mm. it's so full. Yeah. It's so full. Um, to the point where, like, when I watched it for the first time, I was just like, this is too much. Yeah. I can't handle this. Another thing, too, I was thinking a little while back on our Patreon, we talked about the best of both worlds and how when I was a kid, when I saw that for the first time, I also had that feeling. But then, unlike with B5, you just watch another episode and it's like, oh, everything's back to normal. Everything's back to where it was. Picard's doing his thing. That and- part two is, is is not the equal of part one. No, and then no. family is like, and then family is kind of like equal, you know, like to part one. I, I love Fa- family. Family's great, but like, and there are people that hate that episode. People are stupid. It drives me nuts. People are stupid. Yeah. But um, like, people yeah. can be wrong. After family, <laughs> it's all back to normal. All of that thing. Yeah. Well, here. It's not back to normal. We've got an actual war. We've got actual like consequences of the episode. And again, the reaction was, you can't do that. How fucking dare you? Like, I was angry, I was like shocked, angry, like all this stuff. What about you, Ben? You were saying like you were watching this in a period of time where you just had a lot of, you know, free time available to you. What was it like? Do you remember what it was like sitting down and watching this? I remember and what a lot of people will say to you, like to someone starting out uh, Babylon 5 is and and I know you'll 
like roll your eyes at 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 this, but you know what they say when you're starting uh, Babylon Five, which is like, well, you know, it doesn't really get good. You know, the, you have to eat your vitamins, eat your mm-hmm. vegetables, and watch the first season, and then, uh, and. So I, I dutifully, I, I watched all the, the first season and uh, I enjoyed it, especially like some of the, the bigger episodes there. And then I'm watching the second season and it's like, oh, you know, this seems like the production. And then this is, as, as you two said, like this is an episode where like it kind of knocks you out because not only is it um, kind of in the, the tradition of the big episodes that have so like chrysalis and uh babylon squared even babylon squared yeah Sounds like in, in those i think this one even more so like this is a culmination of not only like everything that they had kind of set up to this point but it was also I, it feels so confident in a way that those earlier episodes didn't necessarily not Mm. to say that they were bad or uh not not fully formed but this really felt like a genuine statement of purpose for the show self-assured yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely news of the work you're doing here has reached even the royal palace on centauri prime and i'm deeply moved by the knowledge that you would choose to stand in harm's way in the interest of peace thank you I think one kind of distinct thing about this in terms of Babylon 5 and in comparison to uh, like if if we're talking about Deep Space 9 is that like watching episodes later like immediately after this but like even later on the season and obviously as the show goes on like there when I think of the the big episodes of Deep Space 9 that I love uh, and then I think about like this episode on on Babylon Five. This episode, this is a clean break, and the episodes after this are different, and things are different. The status quo is different. Whereas, even at like the worst points of the war on Deep Space Nine, uh, there are like they they still take uh like multiple episodes in a row Mm -hmm. to just be star trek which is fine but like and obviously there are just kind of fun one-offs and and stuff like that to come on on babylon 5 but i think that the war shadows in more on on b5 than it, it does uh like in deep space nine and it's like kind of just non plot episodes as someone who grew up with a lot of these shows, the Voyager being a great example, Enterprise, another one, but also b- before BSG, there's like other shows I can think of that I would grow up with where, where there was genre pieces. I often wished that they could do what Babylon 5 is doing here, where it's just like, no, we're actually going to have the big thing and we're actually going to stick to it. And it's not going to be like, everything's back to normal. We're going to have our regular Star Trek episodes here and there. Like there's going to be consequences to these things. Cause it, all, it felt like, for the longest time, that was only allowed to happen to dramas like The Sopranos or something like that, where it's just like these little sci-fi shows, they're not allowed to do that because we have running continuity and all of that stuff. That's for the prestigious drama shows and the event shows. And it always bothered me 
growing up, like, I love the TNG style of where episodic and you have your occasional little story arc things here. But, like, I would, even when I was younger, I would often yearn for that from this era because I thought there could be something there. And there were shows that I liked growing up, like Space Above and Beyond and Firefly, who were cut short before they could really get the chance to do that. So that yearning within me for a game changer in this genre for television was very high. So when I did get introduced to B5, and I was stuck with season one for all those years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even watching season one, I could tell that this is what I wanted. Um, Did you ever have that when you were going through TV in your youth or younger days before uh, the television landscape is where it's at now? I mean, I remember very distinctly noticing kind of that that transition point in where uh, television very distinctly, like for, for science fiction, very much was like, okay, now we're we're transitioning to heavily arc driven shows um and i remember like how exciting that was uh and it did really like uh again thinking back to i remember uh going nuts for like the third season of uh of farscape which is extremely arc and each episode is like uh kind of related to the overall story and i remember thinking like oh my god i can't believe they're doing this that's wild uh and uh i don't like babylon 5 one thing i really like about it is that it feels like i'm reading a particularly good like series of of sci-fi novels Mm. like uh ian banks or uh like uh you know one of one of those uh because i mean really where i got that that specific itch scratched when i was a kid was i was reading all sorts of like sci-fi novels and fantasy novels so it's like that and like Werner Vinge and like i know that uh jms like obviously he's a, a huge tolkien fan and um uh makes reference to like obviously uh Bester, who I haven't read, and then you know, no duh, uh Harlan Ellison. Yeah. Uh and all those. And watching like B5 is it's, it's like, oh my God, it's just like, you know, these these fun books I've read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like and Rachel, I'd love to hear your opinion because you grew up with you you watched when growing up different style yeah. television. Like you were Gilmore Girls person growing up yeah. and all of that and that show has its running little things but it's mm. still like but like there's something that ben said there too of there were shows that were just like normal and then they changed some way through like yeah. like x files is a great example x files mm-hmm. always had its like arc episodes but for the most part it'll be like monster of the week monster of the week yeah. monster of the week oh he's an arc episode monster of the week oh check um right. a cry checks back it's you interesting know. that you bring up gilmore girls because they had that same sort of thing it's like the first couple of seasons, there's the parts that link together, but then like kind of around season like five, mm-hmm. I think, is when it very clearly becomes more about those longer form arcs. Yeah, 
it's it was an interesting time, but it's it's still a bit fun to me even after all these years. And this is something that can get lost on a lot of newer viewers and people who are you know uh, uh, more accustomed to the current landscape of TV. But Babylon Five was doing this shit back in like the mi- early to mid nineties, where a lot of shows yeah. were like context I'm not gonna, matters. Yeah, a lot of shows were like I'm not going to fucking do that unless I'm like Twin Peaks or something or other, right? Where that's like also aping off soap operas, where that's a thing too. So there's that, but like um. With this one, The Coming Shadows, it's 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 setting the board. It's setting a new game. It's like, now we're going to be a war show. Remember the age where we were the age of, like, can peace be a thing? And there was always, on the periphery, war would be an inevitable thing because of these warring factions and the shadows are about. This is the one where it's like, no, no, no. That's over now. We're a war show. We're going to have, like, battles and we're going to have characters, like, actively be enemies to one another in our ensemble, which is also something... That I think is very fascinating is like Gold Cut in uh, Deep Space Nine. He's a recurring character, but like he's not one of the main cast members who's like actively at war with one of the other cast members. Like he's a recurring villain, but like in this, it's like Londo and Chakar are like two of our main guys, and now they're actively going to be like at war with one another, which was also something that drew me in when I first watched this. I was like, again, I was like, you can't do that. I've never seen, no, no, they're supposed to be like buddy, buddy, but slight, you know, and snarky. You can't. You see them kill each other in this episode. Oh, right? that's funny, you know. <laughs> yeah, they, like, to this point, they're, they're kind of like, in a, in a sense, they're like kind of the two kind of fun aliens. They're the, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. They're, they're just two, two silly guys, especially Londo and like <laughs> Jakar. He's very horny, and he's always like, you know, he's he's probably up to no good. He was conniving, up to, he yeah. But they're going to spoil him at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and now it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like all of a sudden, there's gravity. <laughs> yeah, and even characters like Via, who is a comedy character, is the voice of reason. You don't feel like it's unearned. Again, it makes sense that Veer is the voice of reason in a room full of people who are ambitious because Veer isn't ambitious. He just wants things to be good. About Veer in this episode. So, like, obviously, Veer is Londo's attache Mm. and helps him, like, with his affairs, but also kind of with literal housekeeping stuff, (laughs) like pouring drinks and stuff. I love that he refuses to touch Reefer's cups. Oh, at the very beginning and then at the end. Yeah, like he's just like, (laughs) I will not, like this is my job and I refuse to do it for you. That's I think. Like that little bit of insolence Mm -hmm. of like Veer refusing to be courteous towards this man that he knows is evil. Yeah. He and stares just, daggers at him the whole yeah. time. And I love, even at the end, when 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 everything's hit the fan, when Reefer and Londo are talking, you look at Veer and he's just staring off into the middle distance. Just like, he's the guy who's like, I'm seeing everything that's going to happen. Like, he's the only one in the room that's like actually like thinking about this and being like, fuck this is bad. I'm, oh, we're no. damned. And it's just like <laughs> amazing, right? Everybody's on form uh, with the uh, via thing too. I love him as an attache. Cause he's like the one attache who actually isn't just a shadow of the ambassador that they serve. Like he actually has mm-hmm. disagreements and he has his own morals and principles. And 
he doesn't have a crush on Londo. Yeah. That has a very unsatisfactory and bizarre end. Or um, he's not just like a, a another Yeah, I version. don't know why they did that with Natoth. Yeah, very weird. No. Um, <laughs> but no, like, he's the, he's the attache who disagrees with their ambassador openly and actually has, like, convictions. And that's what I love about him in this episode is... I have in my notes here, Veer is right. That's my note. Just Veer is right. What do you think about uh, Veer here, Rachel? I mean, again, we're talking about in the context of like when we first saw it, but just in general, like Veer has been a comedy character. Mm. And here in this episode, he's the one, like he's the guy that's just like, don't do this, please. No, he's like, I I will still do my job. Like I will go tell Morden. I will bring him back. Like, mm. I will do that, but I know this is wrong. I am going to stand up for what I believe in the extent that I can. And I, mm. I love that about Via. Like, he always does the most good that he, think, he thinks that he can do with the position that he has. I do love that the series challenges that, though. Like, later this season when he apologizes to Jakar and Jakar doesn't accept it. And it's like, it makes you question this moment here because it's like, yeah, it's good that Veer objects, but, like, Veer's still the guy who sends the message. Yeah. He has he has accountability mm-hmm. in the war. Yep. Isn't that funny to think about? Like, we're talking mm-hmm. about Veer's, like, the good guy, but Veer's the messenger boy. He's the guy that goes off to send the message that starts this war. Which is why it's so great when he has that... Kind of conversation with Jakar later because it's just like he does have blood on his hands. But, he, but like, we, the audience, don't even fathom that because here we nod along going, yeah. yeah, you're the good guy. But at the end of the scene, what does Veer do? He still does it because he thinks that's yeah. what he has to do. It It is nice that the, the show doesn't entirely let Veer get away with his complicity here because it's like, I think... To to an extent, like it's like, you know, he's sitting there and he's saying that's bad. And as you just said, like he he still does it, and the, that's kind of something that the show wrestles with quite a bit. Like, is how much is like so at the beginning of this episode when Jakar is protesting uh, uh, the the emperor arriving, like. Sheridan's like, well, he's he's going to come, and you could, should have a conversation with him. And Jakar's like, why would I do that? <laughs> yeah. And to me, that feels kind of similar. Like, what what is the 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 weight that we uh like put this complicity? Like, how complicit is is Veer here? Like, and how much can like Sheridan ask us? Is like, how much can Veer help? Is is this like a like a mother night situation where like well if he sits here and he pretends to be nice then eventually he'll be part of the problem anyway or uh like does uh, standing there and trying to be a good conscience for Lando eventually uh lead to a, a better uh future like yeah. and and it doesn't give you an yeah. easy answer though it kind of does and that beard do- does get as much as he can without losing his job. Like, he's not willing well, to to step over that line. The big recurring thing in the episode, and I would say the series as a whole, is uh, the power of choice and how people mm-hmm. think that they don't have one. And Veer, 
thinks he doesn't have a choice here. It's his job. He's like, I will do the thing because that is what I do. I am the lackey. I am the messenger boy. Anyway, Londo will do it anyway. So I will do it. And thankfully, like they do hold him accountable. And like later, when he via gets power himself, he does things that are good because he remembers the accountability and the complicity he has here. Even though he did the right, like we can go, oh, that's noble. He he stood up and said, no, don't do that. It's great that the series kind of looks back on it and goes, yeah, that's good, but is it good enough? Like, is is that good enough for the Nile? Yeah. Is that good enough for you, the viewer? Mm. And it's like, great, because when I'm watching this here, I get a bit choked up and I go, yeah, fuck yeah, Veer. But then there's a little part of me as someone who's rewatching it going, but is that enough? Rondo, please, please, please. I know you don't listen to me, but I'm asking you just this one time, don't do this. There's no turning back once you start down that road. Do I have to go find him myself? No. No, I'll go. I'll go and I'll bring him back. And someday I'm going to remind you of this conversation. And maybe then, then you'll understand. The dramatic range that Andreas Katsoulis as Jakar has to go through. Outstanding. He does everything that you want this character, like, everything that this character has been in the show is here. He's funny, he's, mm-hmm. he's charismatic, he's angry, he's sad, he's stoic, he's, he, he, he comes not to terms- Not horny, though. Not horny. But, um... We don't get sex right. <laughs> we oh, well, thumbs down. Thumbs Bad down. episode. Yum. Next. Yum. <laughs> like, uh, what do you think about all that, Rachel? Like, the, 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 the Jakar character? Because this is also, like, we're saying it's, it's a turning point. It's a turning point for the Jakar and Londo dynamic mm-hmm. for the, us, the viewer. Because up until this point, the viewer is led to believe that Jakar is the unreasonable mm-hmm. one. Like, he's yeah. the angry one. He's the villainous one. He's the evil lizard man <laughs> with the red eyes. Yeah. Played by Tomalok. You can't trust him. <laughs> he's played by the one-armed man from The Fugitive, you know? <laughs> right? Like, he's the guy that... But, like, this is flipping that. How are you? How, how have you been with that? Because you yeah. were not a big Jakar... Stan, when you first watched it, no, you, were, you were Team Londo. I was, and my heart broke for Jakar when I watched this episode for the first time, and it still does because he's so he goes from having absolutely no hope to being filled with it to having it dashed away, and the way that he shows that deep hurt and that generational trauma as well as his personal Mm. trauma from the occupation. It's just amazing. What's the moment or the scene for you that really unlocks the whole Jakar transition and your sorrow for him? Just leave him. Oh yeah, when mm-hmm. when he's just like fucking destroyed Zach Allen. <laughs> oh. Zach's just left on the floor. Poor yeah, Zach. When, when like Chief. Sh- <laughs> when Sheridan just and the security team just walk away from him, and he's like huddled in a ball against the wall, and it's like. Just, just leave him. Like mm. knowing it, that, like he's just burnt himself out. It's to me, 
the iconic scene and they reference it throughout the show is is the drinks let's have a drink londo mm-hmm. because he's so happy and there's the dramatic irony and you see peter jurisic's performance oh my god but so good i i want to highlight on a rewatch value one of the scenes that really like quietly broke my heart that we've touched upon is the opening with him and sheridan where it's mm. like you can see like he's still that angry vindictive jakar from season one but you also like you can see like there's this wisdom like he's trying to communicate this point across he's learned some things but not enough yeah and there's just this sadness there because i also think about how sinclair's in this episode and i would think and i thought about how differently sinclair would have talked to him in this moment than sheridan absolutely sheridan lacks that um that type of empathy Mm. in comparison to sinclair over it sinclair's like uh, sinclair would have actually listened like i feel like he would have actually listened he's had he's had hard times but i think of him in chrysalis Mm. where he's like we're at a crossroads and i really Mm -hmm. really want because while sheridan he's like i've got a job to do and this Mm. would be really great for the station and i'm an earth man and we've got to remember too this is Sheridan pretending to be this version because he's undercover. That's always something I got to put in my brain. <laughs> yeah, that like that's this, fun to this, this version of Sheridan is like the version that General Haig wants him to play up. Yeah, and investigate people around him. But like, it really broke my heart at the beginning of like Jakar's trying to say like what's going to happen in this episode like the centauri are these bastards is it going to be bad and whatever but there's also the dramatic irony we learn of the emperor's not like that himself mm-hmm. and so there's that but like the 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 drink scene is the one for me and it's the the iconic one for for me ben what about you with the whole jakar side of this episode what's it been like for you to watch it that first time and to come back to it to see how he this is like he really changes here you get hints of Jakar's depth and that he's operating a little at a at a slightly different level in season one when like like the the thing with uh, Catherine um, and then this season he starts to become a little more circumspect up to this point like he's like he's looking for if there's something. There's something amiss and he's starting to. And so in, in this episode, it's also, I mean, you, you mentioned Tomalak earlier and he was always kind of playing at that level. And also even Tomalak, uh, like kind of like there were moments where he's like, Oh, well, you know, Picard, uh, like when he was in negotiating mode and not just, screaming mode and so it's like okay so now we're getting like that gear in in his performance but now like this episode shows you that jakar is always someone that was big emotions and now we've we've seen every emotion other than horny of course which is a bummer and that must have been something they, they cut out there was probably he was like i'm so horny i have to have sex that scene involved that scene involved before, I, Kefo, before i'm gonna die yeah. oh oh come on come on he said that he put his affairs in order uh, we a, know that he fucked somebody last night there's a scene missing of him and Kefa having a boys night out that's all i'm saying oh yeah they go to whatever that <laughs> dark uh, stuff 
That, no, not even Dark Earhart. Star. They went to that place where no, not there. <laughs> they went to where uh, Garibaldi uh, goes uh, 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 when he's on his bender. Happy the days. Dad. Happy days. Right. Oh, yeah. Happy days. What a, yeah. <laughs> that's where. Yeah, that's where he went, and he did go with Keffer, um, <laughs> and they had a great time, and they also got. They also had a moment where they locked eyes a little bit and they they considered a little, you know, something new about themselves. And unfortunately, <laughs> Jakar was, you know, so preoccupied with everything that happened after that. We never get to explore that part of his character, which is unfortunate. And but, that's the scene also. Oh, well. Talia walks in and sees their, their stare and she just gives him a look that says, I know that. I know that. I know that look. I, I know that stare. The, the unrequited gay love stare. I know that look. And then she walks off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it's like when telepaths make love, Commander? Peter Jurisic's an, a, a great performance, a great performer, and one of the things that everyone kind of talks about is like Londo's a loud character, but the things that stick with me from Peter Jurisic's performance is when he doesn't talk. The looks. That's mm-hmm. all you need. Even like his looks are so haunting in this episode. The the drinks, the look on his face, like his eyes are like moving around like he's He's figuring it out. Like he's like, "Oh my god, what have I done? I am I have become death, you know, destroyer of worlds." Like he has that look. And this is even before the twilight long twilight struggle in which he actually really has that look. Uh like it's oh my god, so yeah. much facial acting. Everyone always says like Londo he's fun because he has funny dialogue and the hair and he's drinking and partying, but like to me it all comes down to the silence that Peter Jurisic works within. And this episode is amazing for that. Yeah, it's you get from uh, like Andreas, you get a very external performance in this episode. And from Jurisic, you get an extremely internal performance where like obviously, like especially, you know, there was uh, uh, shit, uh, the episode with his wives, like that's a very like a big Peter Jerzyk performance like it's big and goofy and silly and in this one it it is a lot more kind of subtle especially as a a counterpoint to uh like because those two are always going to to be that Mm. and so it's just like this just haunting like Greek tragedy of like uh I am walking down this damned what he believes to be a preordained path. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 spectacular. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's the thing too, like they as characters are a counterpoint to one another, but that's the thing about uh, Londo as a fun, like what I love about Londo is he himself feels like a contradiction because it's like, he's this loud, brash guy. And, but then it's like, but also he is capable of quiet introspection. Like, we think of him like he's a very external character, but no, he's also a very internal character. And again, in a lot of these shows, it feels like uh, of this era, especially those type of characters, like we say it, Quark or God forbid, even Neelix, like these over the top characters um, or, or a Phlox, right? Uh, these over the top kind of wild characters, they are always that. And it's only a very special episode in which we can get those little like nuggets of nuance of of like them being a bit more introspective and londo has had those episodes but like there are just so many episodes in which it's like he's both which is here like he's very like he can be very londo in this episode but also like he's afraid 
all the mm-hmm. time here. Like that scene where he's like, Via, you and I agree on something for once. Like, I did not like this conversation about uh, doing all these political coups and schemes. It's, it grosses me out. Rachel, you were Team Londo. We all love Londo. We, he used his dicks to cheat at cards. Yeah. <laughs> Walk us through the Greek tragedy of Londo for you and how this episode was like, no, no, no. Remember in Chrysalis how he killed 10,000 people and we kind of like, maybe he wasn't accountable for that. This yeah. one, he's accountable. Yeah. It, like, it's he, a very active choice. Mm-hmm. Was just like, but he has oh. no choice. <laughs> he said pick any target. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's go after this one. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's after we find out that, like, you know, it's their largest colony. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's just a small listening post, you know like how many like quarter of a million people or something Mm -hmm. ludicrous yeah same nearly pretty much the same as babylon 5's worth of people Mm -hmm. interesting what did you think about the the shows flipped it where it's like londo unequivocally londo's a villain it feels earned it's just like all of these parts of londo that are on display we've seen We know what he's like. We've seen him do things like this already. But there was hope that he would make another choice. Mm. And we see that hope play out with Via and we see it be squashed. Why is he still a character you want to root for and follow? And or even like? Because this is a this is like morally reprehensible what he does. Mm -hmm. He starts a war. But I understand why he does it. Yeah. And, like, that goes a long way for, like, it enables a connection. At this stage, I don't like Londo, Mm. but I know Londo. And I am kind of like Veer of, like, I know you have that little bit of goodness inside you somewhere. Yeah, and I want to stick around and see if that gets to come to light again, or if you are too much in the darkness. For me, there's several factors. It's it mainly comes down to the fact that underneath all of it, he knows it's wrong, and that makes it that he has a shred of humanity, and that is great because he has the counterpoint of 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 Reefa, who is Londo without a moral compass. And so you have him there to be like, this is what Londo could actually be like. The guy who's Mr. Oh, it doesn't matter for immortality. Londo actually has this shred of decency underneath it all, but he just keeps making these choices over and over again because he thinks there's no other ones available to him. So I still root for him and like him because I think that one day he'll finally wake up. Another thing that I think is important, and we roasted Star Trek Discovery for this with George O, is the show knows he's bad. That's big. Like, that's very he's important. He's not going to be uh, toasted on the way out. <laughs> and they say he wore killer boots. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. my God. Right? The show Longo knows. Longo gets what, a toast the show, in the finale. The show knows he's bad. He does get yeah. a toast. <laughs> but, but, like, it's still, like, he did bad things. And it's a melancholic yes. toast, not like a he wore cool boots and was sexy. Oh, and can I just add that she had the best walk with that coat and those boots. The show recognizes that this is wrong. 
that he's doing a bad thing, but we're actually going to explore that to probably its bitter end. Those are the factors for me. Uh, ben, what about you? Like, we make fun of Star Trek Discovery. Obviously, you've just kind of made a jab at it too. But, like, why is Londo, after something like this and actions he'll take later this season, a character in which we still want to watch him, like him, follow him, even hope that things work out for him? I think it's interesting. Like, Londo, thinking within the context of Rifa, is that Londo... I, I wonder when Rifa looks at Londo, what does he see? And my thought is he might see him as like a useful idiot, right? Yeah. Because Rifa isn't as charismatic because we like... Or clever. Yeah. We like just watching it, he's charming and we see this vulnerability and this fear and this horror. And... uh. And we know also, and we know even when, like, he he does good things later, we know that he's damned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he is damned. <laughs> like, he doesn't have a happy ending. Things don't work <laughs> yeah, out for, that, for Londo. That's not going to uh, happen. <laughs> but maybe he can save the last remaining shred of his soul, which he does. Yeah. Yeah. And, so I mean, uh, to to that sense, I mean, is, is he, uh, isn't he kind of similar in some ways to the 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 current or the, the soon to be extremely soon to be former centauri emperor who uh like himself uh in the very late going realized that he he's not trapped uh to to do the the wrong thing yeah and you you see londo and this is something like rachel said earlier is that this isn't like all the, the the pieces are there. All of like this isn't a surprise. Like you think of like we're we're dunking on uh disco uh and and stuff like that, which there's a lot of kind of contemporary arc shows which will throw a big twist at you and it's like, oh my god, I didn't see that coming. And you didn't see it coming because there's no it's just to shock you. But all of it, everything was there. Like you look at this and Londo is someone from the, the beginning. Like all like what he wants is what they had. And what they had was horrible. <laughs> like was monstrous. And that's all he wants. And so and then he begins to be surrounded by people who are like, I can give you what you want back. Yeah. And so he he tries to take it, and then he and for that he's damned. And he realizes uh, oh, another redeeming factor is he realizes along the way that the thing he wanted, the good old ways, the good old days, is something that one should not want or have. Like there's mm-hmm. consequences, there's blood shed. You're not going to escape that, Londo. That's another redeeming factor. And you guys said it on your episode. It was really striking to me, and really hit a chord of you. You know. It's set up like Jakar is this guy. You can't trust him. But Londo's this lovable guy who just yearns for the good old days. But it's like, mm-hmm. in reality, those are the fuckers that you should worry about. Those yep. guys. Those are the ones that are actually the more insidious ones. The ones who want the things the way they were to regress us. You know, it's not a like. It's not a surprise to say that, like, you know, this is a. a uh, not not particularly the best time 
uh, for the world. Um, <laughs> and the the I think the show has a very interesting and uh, like mature. I don't know in, in uh, insightful per- perspective on mm. how these situations begin. Who enables these situations? Who like the instigators are, and how like you know good people are our, our, our close personal friend Zach Allen. How they get all like wrapped up in this and find themselves in too deep. Um, and I I think like that's that's a thing I really value watching uh in in watching the show is that I think it has a really interesting perspective on on all of that it's right thing zach you know everybody always says that i don't know who means it anymore but yeah this time maybe i did we've got a lot of stuff happening and sinclair's here too by the way he's on the tv screen and talking about another moment in which when i saw this i said no way oh absolute that yes Oh my god like seeing it because yeah you're just like no he's not coming back he's gone that doesn't happen (laughs) <laughs> yeah he's he was the lead guy and he left and we when we, we watched it back in the day we didn't know why he left and we were like oh well you, you know we got sheridan here he's the new guy but then sinclair hello old friend and you and it really was a shock i i i couldn't fathom it i was like is he going to be coming back more and then he kind of does because i had let him go i was like oh well, you know sinclair's gone you know i knew yeah, it that- happens actor's gone oh well yeah actor's gone maybe you know it's but then also in all fairness why was it such a shock tng did that with uh tasha yeah with tasha yeah. yeah so why was it a shock i think a part of it is the show was still very concretely at this point trying to make us like sheridan yeah so to then put sinclair back here is it makes it so like it's a dissonance that most shows would not dare to do because also with Tasha Yar, Worf was already there as a character. So we didn't need to warm up to Worf. We already had him there, but like, yeah, that was a thing. Like, uh, how was your reaction to seeing uh Sinclair pop up, uh, Rachel, because you kind of knew that he would have a storyline that would, yeah. uh, like I knew and you knew like you his story, that. he, he does get a conclusion. That's how I yeah. said it. Like, he gets a conclusion. I was like, oh, yay! And th- that's still my reaction every time that it, it plays the, hello, my old friend. Hello, old friend. Uh, what do you think about what he's laying down here? Oh, I, I love it. He's, like, trying so hard to give as much as he can, mm-hmm. and you only appreciate that on the rewatch. And it's awesome to go back to that scene because... I remember what it was like to be in Garibaldi's shoes and hearing that for the first time and being like, what the fuck? Rangers. That's just a fucking bunch of fucking bullshit. Jeff, what are you doing to me? What are you doing? You're laying <laughs> down. What are you doing to you're, me? You're laying down new storylines. We've got so many, Jeff. I thought we were done with your storylines, Jeff. How could you be? Again, this episode is a lot of like, you can't. You can't, but then when we all rewatch it, we sit here going, but they did. And they, uh, yeah, they followed through on that, huh? Yeah. How nice is that? Like, again, another thing. Fuck, they followed through on something? Whoa, crazy concept to believe, but it is one that happens. I mean, 
Ben, you you reacted to it. It's like the the old guy's back, and uh, that's something that like yeah, you don't feel like you get a lot, and um, all the stuff he was uh, putting forward. Like, uh, what are your things about what uh, Sinclair is up to? Like the fact that the show says Sinclair, although he's not on the station anymore, he's still out there uh, implementing change into the universe. Like he's still out there being a protagonist, but just elsewhere. I think one of the the other kind of, I think why it's a little extra shocking is that the show sits on that surprise. Like they, they got whatever permission you need uh, from, I get like screen actors guild or whatever. So his name doesn't show up in the opening credits, like we're like in the, the, Mm -hmm. you know, so like, it's a, it's a bit of an extra surprise. Uh, Like you don't see that credit until the end. And, um, it, it is, it is funny because, yeah, he, he says like, uh, they're my eyes and ears where you see them, you see me. And to me that that's kind of like a little bit of, of saying like, yeah, he'll, as you were just saying, like, yeah, he's, he's always, he's always with us. He's like Jason Ironheart and Talia. Like he's <laughs> always just sneaking around and they, they said, and I've always miss this because i always forget when i'm watching the episodes before this they said and and maybe you two spied this that there are rangers like kind of in in the background yeah of earlier episodes yeah. i i've i always forget that until i get to this episode <laughs> and i'm like oh shit yeah i forgot to look out they are there yeah i forgot they to look for, for rangers <laughs> well i did notice because uh again being stuck with season one for so long i used to just pay attention to background details like oh pak were always kind of in the background how cute like mm-hmm. those details oh look look drowsy background cool like so i kind of did note them down but i didn't think that we'll get an answer i just thought like oh babylon 5 just has things in the background like aliens or like in season one every human wore little hats all the time <laughs> stuff like that and it's like okay sure you know whatever and then <laughs> i i i also miss that i have I guess when we we rewatch uh, for the podcast the, the show a second time, so Steve, I don't think that's going to happen. But no, do it, do Steve it. and Sean, so they can have the full context. I'll be uh, like, the- did you notice the little hats? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like they're always wearing little hats, and it's indoors, so that's weird. Um, but yeah, like- it is weird. Also, like, why does Delenn have wind chimes when there's no wind? Like, it's in inside. They're <laughs> mystical wind chimes, but okay. uh, like the Rangers thing too is great because. They they're very important to the Babylon Five mythos. They're part of the show. They're a big deal. One of our main characters will be a ranger that comes in, and the rangers are this thing of like the Minbari human collaboration. Which, when you know where the story goes with Sinclair, where he becomes a mixture of Minbari and human, it's kind of interesting to think about that. He, the guy who is the literal embodiment of the idea of the rangers forms the rangers and is in charge of the rangers yeah like isn't that something cool to think about like the whole mixing of their souls and their little badges and pins or whatever but that that sinclair literally becomes that because he gets to be a hybrid guy that's cool it's i'm i'm thinking about it also just as like i and this is probably a very obvious thing that only now I'm putting together because you're 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 saying this it's like oh he's like Delenn mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like oh right duh like it's <laughs> yeah. like oh yeah he's just like Delenn just in the other direction right yeah, okay yeah. 
<laughs> right? And it's like, yeah, that's pretty obvious in the text. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, he's like Delenn. Oh, yeah, good job, oh. <laughs> he hazed himself again everybody he hazed himself yeah, again uh, sometimes i i need people to really like you know uh rachel you're you're a teacher like sometimes you really you know i'm like the the slow student you really have to be like isn't it isn't this the theme of the book we're reading yeah. <laughs> this old man in the sea are you Is noticing it- something about him and i'm like Oh no, he's old. He's just a guy. He's old. He's just a guy. Is, is this a bad thing or a good thing? And I'm, I'm just sitting there and just like I open my mouth and radio static comes out. And and you're like, this guy, I don't know. And then and then David Lynch is standing to the side going, I love this. I love this radio static noise coming from his mouth. <laughs> now, now, kids, can you cry? Can you can you do it? Can you do it? Can you just wriggle around on the ground and cry for me? Cry for me. Crawl on the floor and cry like a little baby. Can you do that, Alton? Can you cry out like a little baby for for the film? It'd be so beautiful. Cry, crawl over there and crawl around and cry like a baby. See, uh, real loud. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can we just appreciate that Babylon 5 asked us to have patience back in the day? Like, if you're watching this back in the day, that his dream, lots of it's like, you had to wait two to three years to get any payoffs to his fucking dream. Isn't that, like, something to really behold in the landscape of what was the 90s? Of where, you know, you may not have been able to see that episode and you might have missed it and you didn't have a chance to buy the videotape version of it or your friend didn't tape it that week. Like, it's asking a lot of you, this show, especially this episode. Like, what do you what do you think about that, Ben? Like, we're in the age where it was like, oh, we can just skip to the next one and we can read the wiki and all of that. But, like, you grew up like we did in that time where it's like, Remember when you missed your favorite episode, like your, your favorite TV show, that episode, and you just had to like hope that one of your friends could tell you what happened in it? I mean, how many? I I mean, I have a very distinct memory of the basement of the house I grew up with and a wall of like VHS tapes mm-hmm. where like I like all labeled in pen mm-hmm. the name of the like the show and the then the like place, written yeah. smaller like yeah the name of the place uh, <laughs> uh and like the episodes and stuff like that and then it, it would be so infuriating when like so say uh you either missed one or like it would cut out uh of that that episode like uh, you know, uh, like there was a baseball game that ran long, and so that that episode uh, you only got half of it, or something like that. And so it's really it is very bold, and it's also that they're not bullshitting you with this dream of like, uh, again to to talk about Deep Space Nine. Like I I, I think. I mean, and maybe maybe there's there's uh, precedence to this before it, but I I think like Twin Peaks, the aforementioned Twin Peaks, really made those dream sequences in vogue. Like that that sequence in uh, like the second episode is yeah, is so like it's such a a central like a a pivotal episode of television it's iconography and just yeah yeah and in. Like in Deep Space Nine has like it has the prophet visions. You see him in the first episode, and you see him like over like a couple over the course of the show, uh, and 
you sometimes get the sense of them. They're just kind of like, they're, they're just bullshitting you a bit. Like, they're like, oh, well, you know, this is kind of like, doesn't it look cool when we do this? Like, there's yeah. a bit of the, like, this is cool. Where this one is like, oh my God, like, actually, not only is it giving you this stylish and weird, uh, like, kind of dream sequence, of which we get a couple. Like, there's the one that Sinclair has when, or Sinclair, Sheridan, has when he's... Uh, abducted, yeah. Yeah, abducted. And, and of course, Jukar the... when he's on dust. <laughs> yeah. And there's the one that Ivanova, uh, like, you know, like there, there's a bunch of them, uh, but they never on on Babylon Five feel as much of like, wouldn't it be cool to have one? Like, this is really cool. Like, we loved that scene in in uh, where and then Cooper wakes up and he says, "I know who killed her." Yeah, we love that. We love Twin Peaks, so we let Scott Frost write an episode, and uh, he made Franklin a creep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh not, well. <laughs> oh well. We'll see. <laughs> but no, I I completely agree. It's not like, and here's the thing too that makes the dream work. It's implementing things we have been told about in the show, whilst also sprinkling some things we don't haven't been told. So we got told about the great hand reaching from the stars from the techno mage. We got told in the first episode of the show that he has prophetic dreams about his death. So. It is not also just like it's coming out of nowhere, like with mm. Twin Peaks, say, and you're like, whoa, this is cool, and it's iconography, but it's also, it is paying off things. It is actually showing you the death vision. It is actually showing you the great hand reaching from the stars, whilst also chucking in things like shadow ships over sky over the skyline, and you're like, what, what's that going to be? And that everything doesn't like seem that. good for him. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't seem like he, yeah, that seems uh, not, not good. <laughs> yeah. I want to get your reads on the Kosh scene. The one scene which has, like, you guys mentioned in your episode, but it's, like, the scariest Kosh ever, like, looks. Like, yeah. It's, like, this extreme close-up, and he's just, like, his eye is just, like, zooming in and out, and it's just, like, oh. I also love that he's at the uh, committee meeting. Oh, yeah, yeah. The he's... council meeting at the end. Yeah, yeah the one he time. He actually turns up. Well, he turns up because shit's going to go bad. That's why he turns up. Like, every time he turns up to a meeting, it's usually when shit is bad. Like, oh, Death Walker, hey, uh-oh. <laughs> She's gone. Well, that was hilarious. That was funny. <laughs> You're not ready for immortality. But what's your read on, like, his, um, being people who have watched the show before, his read on the question, that it, his answer to the question of, how is this all going to end? And he says, in fire. How do you interpret that? What's your, what's your handle on it, Rachel? Rather literal. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> Yeah. The Emperor is concerned a lot with Centauri Prime, mm-hmm. and Centauri Prime ends up in fire. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's just, it's fire, it's burned, it's destroyed. Yep. It's well, it's at least, it's not rubble. even a husk of what it used to be. It's pulverized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's... The drug just... Oh, fucking hell, the drug. We'll get there one day oh. on our rewatch. We'll get to those motherfuckers. Ben, uh, is that your read too on this? That that it is. And then also uh, when I watched uh, the the JMS commentary that's on his YouTube, uh, he he also says, like, when, when Kaj says that, he's like, and that's why the, the name of the episode where... Uh, Sheridan uh, puts himself in the middle of it uh, and and everything like goes completely bonkers and the war is called Into the Fire. And it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. I'll check that out. 
And Jameis oh, was the teacher. Jameis walked in the room when Rachel had to go get a drink as the teacher. And they didn't <laughs> get it. So interesting because IMDb has a very different drastic interpretation of this in the trivia. Where it says Great. in the trivia as, it's, as if it's like a fact. And this is the one I've never thought about it like this. And I disagree. He's referencing the fact that uh, Babylon 5 itself will... Like, instead of us thinking it's going to blow up, it's like it's when it, like, blows up at the end. Like, he's referencing the physical station. And I'm like, is that what he's referencing? Why would this entire... Nah. Like, I think he's directly answering this entire em- emperor here. Like, on IMDb, they make it sound like, oh, it's in reference to the station blowing yeah. up because in Signs and Portents, they had the prophetic... I'm like, I don't Generally, think that's my... That's not my read on it, at least. The quest for peace ends in fire. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I also take it on literal like the Centaurian master, the Centaurian emperor's like, how's this gonna end? And I just think of like <laughs> Londo looking out on the city in flames, and it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah how, I mean, to to this IMDb person, and I know you're listening. Uh, I disagree because also the emperor isn't asking how does Babylon Five the station end. That's well, not show. what the question was. Or yeah. the show. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, because in that case, Kosh would say, with uh, a photo of the staff of Babylon and It's an ISN meet, and it's an ISN report the entire time. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what Kosh sh- should have said. He should yeah. have said, well, it ends, like, kind of, like, in a shaggy dog way, because uh, uh, the fifth season had a whole bunch of problems, and then also... Uh, they there were all sorts of plans uh, for for crusade, so they started to build that up in season five. And and and, and don't even the open people the, watching at the time would have been like, I this is the most loquacious Kosh has ever been. And Kosh then and then Kosh then you hear him take a breath because he's he's got more to say, and it's and not the like, warbly. Yeah, and then it's Claudia the, Christian leaves, and and we never really get an answer why that and, is. There's and then very he warbles, he warbles and says, and then there's the lost tales. Let me tell you about those, and then. And and then, and then the emperor's like, whoa, 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 my hearts can't take it. And then Kosh <laughs> says, okay, take a breath. The CW. So uh, <laughs> he just gets a new Alice reboot for the CW in the works. The Legend of the Rangers. So <laughs> this, all right, so this other pilot, maybe, and it was really bad, but also it probably didn't get picked up because it also aired like a, like a, a month after 9-11. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah, and then, and, then, and, then, and then Kosh just takes a big, big, deep breath, and then he says, okay, so there was these unaired scripts of Crusade that got into what happened at Leader Alexander. And he's like, and also we had Walter Koenig that was supposed to show up in one of those, and can you believe that we wasted Gary Cole? And, yeah. and the Emperor goes like, Gary Cole? He's a great actor. And Kosh goes, I know! And it's like we had Daniel Day Kim before he was a big deal. And then and then the emperor looks at Kosh in his big goofy eye and then he says, what happened to Catherine Sakai? And then he goes, well, let me tell you about this one book that JMS's wife wrote. So it gets into it where she travels <laughs> back and, and it's just like, oh no. And then there's another IMDb trivia. It's like the ranger had three data crystals that we just didn't see. And the third one was for Catherine Sakai. I'm like, okay, shut up, IMDb. Where, I've had a lot of issues. What is, with what is that? Is that in a comic book? Where the fuck is this about? Where, <laughs> JMS where probably said it on a lurker's guide, and people are like that's canon. Citation um, needed. Citation needed. I've had a yeah. lot of back and forth with IMDb. I've I made sure to put in the trivia that uh you know Gropos lose last episode. You know we all miss Lou. 
hey, you know, he he wasn't in this one, but would this episode be better if Lou was here? Yes. Yeah. Next. He, but he would. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. It would have been a slightly more like you know, Jakar has already broken a stone table. Mm. Flipping Zach, not that impressive. If he did like, if uh, he could flip Lou, now that's two, strength. <laughs> like Zach and Lou, one over each shoulder. Oh boy! Mm. And you see, like, uh, like he dislocates his shoulder that Lou's on because Lou's just so strong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he has that like O'Brien strength. I I just kind of just want to talk a little bit about like the pacing of this episode, like because it just does not like it's just like Bing 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 it's in relentless. a way that's like yeah that the the show like a lot of episodes kind of feel like the last act sometimes feels like a little like you feel like oh I thought we hit the end and now everybody gets a little bit of an epilogue and this like there there's there's none of that it's just like it there isn't. I mean, where would you add Lou other than for Jakar to flip him over? Because there is really no <laughs> space in this episode, which is why Keffer is obviously not in it. Well, he would be in the Keffer scene too. Like he's just yeah. eating a burger at the bar. And <laughs> a Zoom a Zoom burger, yes. A Zoom burger. And uh Garibaldi's just like ordering a suicide pizza and like, you know, all of that and uh yeah, it's a, you're right. This episode is relentlessly paced. Why does it work though? Because sometimes you have like we say it a lot because we're former Star Trek Discovery podcast, but Star Trek Discovery is like the yum yum episode is like fucking relentlessly paced, but it's like it makes your head hurt and you feel sick. How come this works? Well, because I care about the characters and I know who they are and there's like cogent uh, 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 people have reasons for why they do things. <laughs> <laughs> because it's good. Yeah. I think it's also because not, nothing snacks. Like. It all makes sense. It all makes sense and it it flows together and like we discussed the tonal variations in Jakar in spe- specifically. But the episode itself has a broad range of emotions and tones and you are taken on the journey with all of those characters so you get to go through those highs and those lows and from a dark moment to a funny moment yeah so you don't like you still feel the weight of it but you aren't dragging that weight they'll kill everyone don't you understand They've done it before! They'll kill everyone! Then you're going to have to decide what's more important to you, Jakar. Revenge or saving the lives of your people. I think spotlight time. We were, we're going to talk about the Emperor himself, Tohan Bey. He is here in this. He will return in a Season 5 episode as a Minbari. Which were his last two roles. Yeah. On uh, screen. We, uh, I mean... We've got to talk about his performance first. Mm-hmm. Not since Theodore Bakel as uh, uh, as a his rabbi have I just believed that this is a real person. Yeah, like mm-hmm. every, there's lots of great guest star actors, but like this guy feels like this is like he's a real emperor who's like lived decades and has made bad choices or no choices. He walks into this like the episode opens with him. 
And I and I was just and I'm like, yeah. I nodded my head, going, and him, the prime minister too, Prime Minister Malachi. Oh yeah, good. Both of them are, are pros, and um, I I watched it going. I could just watch these guys. Yeah, I could just watch a show of these 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 two like, old men. Bec- are we just uh, going to stay on Centauri Prime for a little bit? I'm okay with this. It's I don't gr- mind this idea. It's the greatest compliment I can give to a performance, uh, especially from a guest star who's a one and done. Is they felt like a real person with like wants, needs, desires, mm-hmm. and like they lived a life outside of the forty-five minutes that we got to spend with them. Yeah, he is one of those guest stars that I just remember because obviously it's like oh, we actually meet the Centauri Emperor. That's cool. But mm-hmm. on top of that, he's a very nuanced character with he's a nuanced the one that performance. Gave Londo his divorces. Yeah, he's the one that gave Londo his divorces in a previous episode. But like. He's a nuanced performance and a nuanced character. That speech he gives with Sheridan about uh, how the how the past tempts us and uh, you know the present and you know, all of that, beautiful. And he delivers it with absolute grace. And this is a guy you can tell as an actor, he's been around the block. Like he's he himself has lived an interesting life, and we will get into that. Yeah. But like he's one of those guys, like Theodore Bekel, the the one of his rabbi, where it's just like. They're seasoned pro actor and just a person who has a wealth of stories of their own, and they just kind of emanate that off the screen. You can just feel the lived-in quality of uh, the character and the actor. Uh, uh, what about uh, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I I think, and again, I don't want to get ahead, a but he comes in with this type of poise and a very specific acting style which is very different uh than the the type of performances that are on like even the great performances that are on uh babylon 5 like he has this way that he carries himself and the way that he wears uh like this like the tragedy uh that like in the sadness that he he has in a way that like you can you can see it. it's like oh man this guy has like he he's he's been around the the block both as a, a person and a performer and he has like kind of that golden age of hollywood quality He's one of those performers too where and sometimes even great guest star performers suffer this where he is in the scene in between the lines. Like you can just see if you just zero in on him when he's not speaking, you can tell his character have a fun his, fact that relates his to that as well. Character is thinking and having emotions. It's not just the actor standing there waiting for their line to be had. And you know, there are some actors, bad ones, that uh, that's more obvious, and even good ones where it's like, if you really pay attention, you're like, okay. But, like, he, again, he was just a real guy. Like, this was like, oh, yeah, the Emperor? Sure. And that's the thing, too. Like, as a Centauri, he's also very different because the Centauri we've had have been um, villains or buffoons. That's how yeah, you would describe them. And he's neither of those. And that's the thing, too. When Sheridan at the beginning lays out, like, he has actually been pretty decent to the nun. Like he's done these things. He's not like his family. And you you just go, Yeah, of course. Like I've met the guy for like a scene and I can already buy that. Like he's not the for the guy who's the head Centauri guy, he's not the stat he's not the traditional Centauri that we have been no, meeting he's throughout not the show. The synthesis of mm. the Centauri ideal. Yeah. Which is what you think that an emperor would be, would be like the pinnacle of all of these traits yeah. that we've been seeing 
brought up and put on a pedestal. He's not the Grand Nagus. Yeah, and it's no. beautiful the way that the script kind of swiftly puts that aside when he's like, I'm not wearing the fucking wig. Yeah, I'm not doing that. There's no Piss point. Piss off with that thing. Like, I think the women have it right. They just shave their heads and they're done with it. Yeah. he's Like, he, he's more reflective than that, but he's just like, I have no need for this pomp and circumstance anymore. I am not pretending to be something that I'm not. Yeah, and although he isn't necessarily a, a pure synthesis of the, the Centauri culture that we met, he is, as we've talked about throughout the episode, on that track for Londo of the guy who's just stood by and think that there's nothing they could have done. And then once they start to do things, it's like, okay, well, this guy, he waited too late. Londo, mm-hmm. he's waited a long time to do it, but now he's just doing bad shit. And now, and he's going to wait too long to try and stop doing bad shit. Yeah. That's where Londo's going to go down. While this guy... He may not have actively been evil like uh, Londo has. He was just actively passive, and uh, that's not enough. Which itself can be like just being passive, like kind of famously that that the act of being passive can be evil in itself, even if you're not actively like you know, pushing grandma. Culpable. Yeah, yeah. Like with Via, exactly. like how we talked about earlier. It's like it's good yep. that Via at least voices concerned, but he's still a passive bystander. Once things get going, you actually have to pick a side, like Zach Allen will have to do in the future as well. Like There are these characters uh, that we see as great examples of warning signs for our main crew of characters not to fall down that road, and will they or won't they? You know, Zach and Via are two characters that are like just average guys who are making passive choices and the safe choices, and they do have their own uh, nobility and their own honor and ethics, but like, are you actually going to follow through on that? Or you're going to be like the emperor and do it when it's too late. The past tempts us, the present confuses us, and the future frightens us. And our lives slip away moment by moment, lost in that vast terrible in-between. But there is still time to seize that one last fragile moment. To choose something better. To make a difference, as you say. And I intend to do just that. Are we familiar with this actor from much else? So when you when you brought him up, uh, like that we were going to take a look into this, I, I poured over his IMDb page, and I I really I'm fascinated. I'm really curious about all of those movies he did in the the forties, um, and I have not seen any of those. I was very like I I was kind of looking through him to see if there was any. I had seen, and I hadn't, and I and I also think it's very interesting that he then, after a long hiatus, came back and did '90s television. But I must, I probably saw him when he was on um, uh, Murder She Wrote. I I've never watched uh, uh, Sequest, uh, which he also showed up on. Yeah, but I might have seen him because I remember watching a lot of Murder She Wrote as a mm. as a little kid, and. That's probably also, I assume, where JMS kind of got wind of him. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably. Because of Murder, She Wrote. And so I have a feeling I might have seen that. But no, this is a an actor who, like, it's like, man, what a fat... Like, just looking at his IMDb, you're like, this guy's got to have a story. <laughs> There's something interesting about this. He's a guy that I look at his IMDb and I'm shocked how few things there are on there. Like, it's only like 40... 43. Thing. It's like, okay, wow, but he brings this energy of like, 
like we've said, like he's a golden age guy. He's been here. Like he just feels like one of those guys. But like relatively speaking, at least IMDb wise, but like he's probably had theater and all of that. But uh, one of the things I want to touch on is I've seen him in one other thing outside of Babylon 5, which mm. is a crappy straight to video piece of shit movie called Skateboard Sk- Kid 2. Skateboard Kid 2, which is often used in those YouTube videos of like, whoa, movies that suck, but I'm a guy who can talk about it real funny. Um, <laughs> But every time I've like I've seen that movie and I've seen people review that movie, he is fucking great in that yeah. movie. Like it's this stupid role where he's like this, like he's this kind of magical magician-y man, and he's like he's <laughs> he brings a skateboard to life. But like he brings the gravitas that he brings to this role. Like he he's that actor again, like Theodore Bakel, where it doesn't feel like they read the script and go, oh, I'm 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 above this. He brings it he absolutely dedicated himself to that role in skateboard kid 2 and he does it here in babylon 5 and those are the actors that we really have to commend and love and praise of like a lot of people like other actors like um like, famously uh, next episode we'll talk about it but uh, uh uh um paul winfield he didn't really seem to look that favorably on the material of uh gropos and he didn't even learn his lines. You mean the last episode? No, no, the next one. And um, and so I, I, I didn't know that. Where, where, yeah. where's uh, where's that from? Um, Jerry Doyle and uh, Richard Biggs. Hmm. Uh, okay. It's like Jerry Doyle didn't have a lot of nice things to say about a lot of people. But no, Richard Biggs, he liked okay. Bruce. <laughs> That's true. They did and get Tracy along. Scoggins. So, but like. Uh, you know, like he doesn't look down on this material, and that's something to uh, really. Uh, that's what we also loved about uh, love about David Warner as well. Like, mm-hmm. they're these I was great. Say that yeah. they're, these, they're these great actors who will do these genre things because you know it's a bit of work, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like they're looking down on and going. Ugh. I, I can't believe I'm having to wear this silly outfit and blah, 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 blah. I'm having to speak to this dickhead with makeup on, which yeah. we see. How many times have we seen those performances in our sci-fis? I've seen them so many times of these actors who come in and I'm like, countless, oh, countless times. Countless. Um, but Rachel, for you, anything? I enjoy it. I like, I really enjoy his performance. He has this distinct warmth about him as a person Mm. where he has this kindness and you see how that's been manipulated and pushed down because I, for me that kindness that's at the center of him is kind of, what has allowed him to be led in the way that he has to be malleable through his whole life of he's trusted the people around him and Mm. he's assumed that if he had a choice, he would be offered a choice. And he assumed if I just did what people asked me to, that would be the right thing. Yeah. There's lots of people like that in the world of like, oh, if I just do the things mm-hmm. that people ask, that means I'm, you know, I'm doing the right thing. And he's yeah. he's awoken to that. Uh, we have to mention it. The cast and crew also agree with us. Mm-hmm. They loved him. From my understanding, you mentioned it, Ben. You listened to the uh, JMS commentary track. Uh, he talked about that. Do you want to kind of touch upon uh, uh, that kind of behind the scenes stuff when it comes to him here? 
Well, one of the things that really uh, struck me from the the JMS behind the scenes talking about him was that he took uh, JMS to dinner at like some like old Hollywood haunt hotel or like room and bar where uh, like that really because that seems like a dream like to get to to get to talk to someone who's like oh yeah i was back on the old mgm lot and you know i i knew uh you know uh, uh willie b mayer and all that um or louis b mayer um my first but, film was with errol flynn yeah yeah exactly like it's like how much fun it would be like a a happy version of Sunset Boulevard, right? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and he has like he has his specific meal that he orders from this place on this day and they know what it is. Like it's a dream. It's the dream that we we like you would imagine up. Like wouldn't it be great if you got to sit, sit down with yeah. this old Hollywood legend and they tell you these little stories about uh, the biz? It was amazing just watching like a almost half hour interview that he did in 95 yeah which was around the time this episode and he talks about how like oh well kind of like if i wrote a book it would be boring it would just be like pollyanna yeah like because that's that was the way that he described like his view of hollywood because it was so idealistic (laughs) uh, his experience yeah he just seemed to have a good time overall and uh JMS and crew, they loved him so much that in further episodes, and same with the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Malachi, who's an actor we could also have done a spotlight on. I mean, he was one of the first Klingons. He was the voiceover in uh, Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp, the show that asked, can we do uh, Get Smart but with chimps? (laughs) And And, and could they? They did. Oh, Oh, yeah, they did. (laughs) Wait, you haven't watched Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp? Well, I you know I already I have to watch uh, the Flower Pot Man. You and know. I don't Becca. know if I have time to watch <laughs> two new shows. Like I'm writing down all these these show names. <laughs> Becca, but like so they named the the characters in future episodes after the actual actors. Mm-hmm. Prince, uh, Prime Minister Malachi, and uh, you know uh, Emperor, you know Emperor Tahan and all that. So yeah. they didn't get names here. They were just their titles. Emperor, mm-hmm. Prime Minister. That's something too. They are just their titles. They don't get names, yet you feel like they are still real. Like, you don't yeah. need to know their names to understand that they're people. And, uh, yeah, and then, obviously, he comes back in B5 mm-hmm. because they loved him so much, the Emperor does. He gets to come back as uh, one of the teachers for the Rangers uh, in Season 5, and he brings that dignity and that grace and that class and a yeah. warmth to the Minbari mm-hmm. that we often don't get from a lot of actors for the Minbari. The Minbari are often very, like, um, Naroon, where they're like cold yep. pricks and yeah. volatile and like snooty. Uh, but he brings like this absolute grace and dignity. And again, he's in all that makeup too. Yep. We'll get to that one day. But like, again, I can't imagine what it would be like for him. He's a golden age Hollywood actor. I don't know if he's ever been shoved in like prosthetics. And we've heard Bill Moomy bitch about being in these prosthetics. And yet, Tohan, he's like, how old when he did this? And they would have shoved him in like a bunch of the Minbari makeup. And yet he seems like, you know, this was a good time for me. I had a good time. I did my role. I did my job. And, uh, you know, no bitching about it. He was old enough that, like, I mean, in, in this episode, when he has like the, uh, like his heart attack or, or whatever, um, he couldn't fall to the ground. That's like the psychic, the actresses who, who are his telepaths, uh, help him down to the ground uh, because, like, he was so, like, 
it was he couldn't do it without hurting himself. He he had a hard time just hitting the ground, so we asked the um, other actors there with him to help bring him down because he had, he had a little bit of arthritis going on. He didn't feel comfortable just falling, even if we put a mat there. So the other actors actresses um, helped him down. This is a guy where you read his life and you go, fuck, I haven't done anything. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> like, you know in The Thing, the film The Thing, where it's like mm-hmm. everyone loves the- The Thing pr- in The Thing? Yeah. yeah, The Thing, The Thing. Mm. The prosthetics for The uh-huh. Thing is done by like Rob Bottin and it's like, he was only 23. Yeah. And you're like, I haven't fucking done anything. And this guy did like the best movie prosthetics in the, his- in the history of oh, cinema yeah. and he was only 23. He also destroyed himself That's fine. It. The Thing was worth it. <laughs> If you had to destroy yourself for a movie, it's the thing. Are you kidding me? It, yeah, because it turned out so good. That or Skateboard Kid too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are the two. I I would actually say of all Western media, uh, like that's probably we should just shoot that off into space. Oh. So, you know, those those out there, intelligent life out there sees those two. And goes, it can become oh, okay, feature. Great, perfect. You know, yeah. Oh my God! Wouldn't that be a dream if Skateboard Kid Two was seen by V'ger? <laughs> and uh, oh, Ryan, Ryan, we have to know that if that was the case, and they saw the poster, and they're actually coming back to Earth to try and find that dog that's not even in the movie of Skateboard Kid Two. Yeah, yeah. What happened to the dog? Oh, they would get angry at us. V'ger would just destroy us. Vija don't have time for I that. I mean, that's what I mean. That was Vija's plan already. So yeah, you know, but now that maybe, maybe, oh, okay. Spock, Spock entering the orifice <laughs> wouldn't have changed Vija's mind. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, sorry. Aperture. Steve made me see that movie, and I'm still mad. He was like, he a, loves that that oh, fucking movie. Oh, I agree with Steve. I think it's, it's a great. Movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's because you like being bored. And, no, uh, no, no, I know. I, I think I, it's, I'm, Shat- I'm, I'm I think being... it's one of Shatner's greatest performances as Kirk. I'll just say that. I I agree that you have a right to dislike it, but I. Well, you don't like ten minutes of them <laughs> flying towards the end of the Oh my god! Is that the the great? Shatner performance, him just looking at the Enterprise for 80 minutes like, for the length of the film. Yeah. No, that's short. The film's long. Yeah, I know. I saw it in a theater with Steve when they did like the, like the, what, the 30, mm-hmm. probably yeah, yeah, They best. gave you the TNG oh, theme in that movie. So yeah. you have to yeah, thank it's it. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They should they should do that. They should have made that a tra- uh, a tradition. I'm sorry for getting us all off course. Uh, they should have made that a tradition with uh, uh, this generation of treks because they should just use the first contact theme and especially the insurrection theme. Uh, like insurrection's theme is far better than that movie. Of course. Why why waste it? Let's 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 put it on Brave New World. Yeah, strange. And then eventually we'll get Beastie Boys as the theme. (gasps) Oh yeah, in one of the movies it'll be the sabotage as the theme. Yeah, yeah. Sabotage. I mean, but it'll be be the one. Star Trek did worse. Yeah, Yeah. they they Mm -hmm. did worse in themes. You could do a lot worse in sabotage. I mean, yeah, you could be discoveries boring or uh, enterprises. (laughs) Oh, can we not (laughs) faith of the heart? (laughs) Can we not even mention enterprise? So he's an Austrian man. Um, his father was a Turkish diplomat, mm-hmm. and his mother had Czechoslovakian heritage. And she was Jewish too. Yeah. 
from what I read, which will mm-hmm. factor into why he left Austria later. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah. plus one equals two with that. Yeah, I was going to say, you could do the math there. You could do the math yeah. there. Yeah, like they yeah. moved. They heard Schwarzenegger was going to be from yeah. there one day and they he, said, we can't handle it. <laughs> he was born. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> so I'm hazing myself. Go on. Uh, so he... <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I hazed you, Rach. Um, so he moved over to California eventually, like, you know. Germany was starting to fuck shit up, and they were like, uh, maybe we'll get out of here. Yeah, it was just him and his yeah. mother, from what I read. Yeah. His father also lost an arm in the First World War. Mm. I read that somewhere, too, yeah. so that's interesting. He lived with his mother until she died. Yeah, that's fair. He's yeah. of that generation. Yeah. You know, my mother, her, her, like they lived with their grandmother until she passed away, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was just yeah. a part of the generation of the time. Not oh, too shocked And I don't think he ever married. Okay. But he did date. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I saw this in his biography. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who did he date? What Hollywood starlet did he go down that road with, Ben? I, I, I don't recall the name, and I don't have it pulled Lana up. Uh, who, Turner. who was it? Lana. Turner. I mean, damn. I mean, I know. Like, I saw here, he was, he was a like consider. <laughs> yeah, he was quite the the golden age of Hollywood looker. Like, if you're being compared to Rudy Valentino, who was. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yeah. Screen Guide magazine wrote of him in nine in nineteen forty four. He is cultured, suave, and inscrutable. Made to order for moviegoers. He was called the Turkish delight. Yeah, that's <laughs> his nickname. He was the Turkish delight, which I think is awesome. I yeah, keep Edmund <laughs> away from him. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Rachel. He has so many things. Like like one of the things. Okay, Rachel. You're reading his things, you're listening to things, and you're going like, oh my god, oh my god. And I just said out loud, oh, did you get up to Albert Einstein? And you said, wait, I haven't gone up to the Albert Einstein part of his life. What do you mean? Did you see this, Ben? The Albert Einstein chapter of uh, Tohan Continue. Life? I think I've, I, I forgot or missed that so, one. So I think it was his uncle or somebody or a cousin. Somebody in his, his life uncle was a-, was a mathematician. So, so he got and to- and all, all- Austrian. So at some point in his life, he met Albert Einstein and they were good friends. They kept up a close uh, friendship for the remainder of uh, each other's lives. So I love I love history, friends. Uh, Can you? Seriously, you're watching B5. (laughs) Could you just imagine you're watching this episode of B5 and just go, oh, that actor was best friends with Albert Einstein. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't get past that. Albert fucking Einstein was friends with this guy, the Emperor of the Centauri. Great. Great. So after he moved to California, uh, like he he did a few things, but then eventually when he was 19, he ended up uh, with a contract with mm. MGM. As you do. And this was after he'd done four months of drama school. Mm-hmm. And after three nights of doing a play that the <laughs> drama school put on, MGM called him up and were like, hey, you want to be in this film with Errol Flynn? You got the this stuff. This is what happens when you're just very sexy. Is like, yeah. the, this is just how that happens. Yeah. Like, this is an experience I'm unfamiliar with. Like, if you just have that, that sexiness, that's <laughs> just people call you up and they're like, Hi, do you want a job? Do you want uh, your life to be defined by this? And it's like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. yeah. Why? He had a quote where it was basically like, yeah, I was young and sexy, so everything was up. 
Everything was everything, everything was, was everything that was coming up. Everything to was coming up to Hanbei. Yeah. When when you're old, that will be the time for skateboard kid. Skateboard uh, kid too. Andrew, yeah, sorry, my to, to uh, all the cast and crew of Skateboard Kid One. I apologize. Um, and three and four. And, and five, five. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, whichever one where they went to Russia and had fun, you know, whichever so, one that was. Yeah, he did. He did a number of roles. <laughs> he did, he did a number of roles, um, including Arabian Nights, mm-hmm. which is makes uh, sense. Uh, yeah, classic film, classic novel. Yep. Oh, yeah, he has a full novel. Was he the knight in Arabian Nights? <laughs> The look of disdain on your face says it all. I, I felt yes. it, and I like we don't have a video feed. I, I felt it halfway across the world. I, I just felt in a different We're time. connected like the telepaths. It's in a different yeah, time that's zone. Exactly it. We're both wearing veils. <laughs> well, I mean, I do that anytime I, I I'm on a podcast. I wear a veil. So, what's the deal on those veiled Centauri women who follow the emperor around? Orlando says they're telepaths, raised together since birth. Mm. They're linked 24 hours a day, no matter how far apart they are. What one sees, the others see. He, he rose to fame during World War II mm. when, like, all of the white people were off fighting the war. Ah, I see. So um, the studios were like, oh, we can have exotic people yeah. such as the Turkish delight that is this actor and Michael Ansara the techno mage he had mm-hmm. the same thing right where where he was uh, exotic enough to be in all these movies and shows yeah. around that time we talked about that in Geometry and then shows. after the end of the war everybody was like nah 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 we only want white people now okay. exotics get the fuck out and it Get seems I didn't, uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was why. Yeah, I didn't know that. So he left and just went back to Austria. Oh, that, so that's interesting too, because I what go you know, again with Michael Ansara. What Michael Ansara did was he he went to TV, while Turhan he just went back to Austria and then came back and he went to TV later in his career. That's interesting. I mean, that makes that's sense. That's interesting to me because I I think of like so he like many others fled from uh Europe to to Hollywood and I think about like Fritz Lang or Douglas Sirk who also who both did that or and, yeah 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 and um both of them end up wrapping up their careers in Hollywood and then moving back when it's just like mm. all right well you know I've lived in America I want to go home yeah, yeah. um home is safe so yeah yeah, like, and so I, I saw his, like, I saw that hiatus, and I I was like, and I saw that he went back to, like, uh, Austria, I believe. Yeah. And I, w- I was like, oh, I mean, he got to go home. <laughs> yeah, but no, no. But, uh, yeah, he, def- you know, he had a passion for photography. Yeah. It led him on archaeological digs in yeah. Tibet. Stuff like that. This guy's like a real, like, we've done nothing. I really want to hunt down. There was a documentary, I think, a a German one, that was made about him in the 80s. And I'm like, I want to see this full thing. I want to hunt it down. Yeah, and, uh, you know, his journeys through photography eventually led him to, you know, to live in Vienna. And uh, in the later years, he uh, became more of a fashion photographer guy. While also doing acting here and there. Yeah, and he worked for, I think it was The Globe in New York as a photographer for a little while. 
Um, but then he, he just kind of did it for fun more than commercial work. Yeah, and... You know, obviously he's no longer with us. And when uh, he passed away in 2012, and it was a bad time for the B5 community back then because he died like two days after Michael O'Hare passed away. So it was like these two figures in the B5 world just went one after the other. And the B5 cast has had a very bad time of it. You know, a lot yeah. of them are no longer with us. And I remember, I remember what it was like then, like being there. It's like, well, Michael O'Hare has like, I couldn't even fathom the idea that one of like you know the captain commander characters in my sci-fi show was no longer with us but then like the next day it was like oh and another cast member it was a rough time but like yeah it was uh just something to mention there like you know he he did have a long fruitful life uh, you know he, he unfortunately passed away from parkinson's but like he was a, he was you know he had a good time you know he had a wealth of stories and uh uh, evidently made a mark and for people who just watched this episode of b5 he's just that one old guy w- yeah. who didn't wear the wig in that episode and he's the old emperor guy but like there's, that's the thing i love about this spotlight section we look at these mm, people and it's like wow there's one role that i i particularly want to bring up because in the interview that i watched he talked about a few different like big moments at the he had. And this was before Skateboard Kid too. Yes. Uh, this was when he starred in The Dragon Seat. Okay. With Catherine Hepburn. Do you remember what's kind of notorious about this? No, no, I don't know anything. Oh, no. I just looked it up. <laughs> ben, do you want to fill Ryan and the fill, audience fill in me. on, oh, no. you know, oh, no. what's, I just what's distinctive about The Dragon Seed and Catherine Hepburn's oh. decision? Oh, no. is she in Yellowface? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, and so Johan Bay's talking about working with a great actress in Yellowface? Yeah. Uh, and that was like a low point for no, him? No, oh, no. He was honoured? No, he... um. She gave him a distinct piece of advice. Oh, one that no. you could see work. <laughs> no, no, it's nice. It's oh, nice. okay. She Remember, gave good he advice. had a Pollyanna experience. Oh, he had a good time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she was like, "Dahan, you are a good actor, but you don't listen." And he realized that he needed to listen while the other people were performing, not just waiting to say his line and to show that he's having the thought before he speaks. And that's what he realised, and that's what Catherine Hepburn's advice gave him. Now, remember, she's saying this while wearing yellow face in front of him, so maybe he was distracted. Well, it's a black and white film, so it's more just that like they've pulled her temples Oh, that makes it better than Rachel, of course. (laughs) So I, I I still I'm gonna close IMDb now. <laughs> I don't. That's oh. I was listen. I was supposed to listen to what you said. I was just waiting for my cue. Right. There was no expression on my face. No reaction. There was no reaction in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And from then on, from all the future times on, I rem- always remembered what Catherine told me. It's stuck in your mind. It's stuck in my mind, and she was so right. You got to listen to the actor, what they are saying, and one. you react. And not that- only that, but when you speak. The thought has to be first. The thought has to be in your eyes, and then the words follow. This is a formality at this point, but what would we rate this episode? Yum being bad or yum yum being good? Rachel? Yum yum. Yum yum. Yum yum. Yum yum. You said it with authority and conviction. Did you lick your lips, though? <laughs> you uh, said it? I, yum, I, yum. I, I, I did. My, my lips are no longer dry. <laughs> 
And that I... moisture's coming through. <laughs> yep. I give this one a yum yum. Yum yum. Uh, but we are not done. We have to talk about what we are going to be watching next time on Yum Yum 5, in which we are looking at what is up for us. We are... Uh, we got the DVD description in front of us. Rachel, you've got it. What are we watching next time on Babylon 5? On the next Babylon 5. Next week, will we, we will be returning mm-hmm. to cover Grow Pose. Mm-hmm. The station is a neutral point of call in the Centauri Nine War. So why has Gen Frank, General Franklin... Paul Winfield bought 2,500 infantry troops, Gropos, mm-hmm. or ground pounders, abroad for immediate billeting. Gropos, Franklin drama, family issues, should be a fun time. Can't wait to look into that one. Uh, you, woo, I can't wait to actually talk. I mean, Lou, it's the final Lou episode. I don't know how I'm going to feel. I may, I may cry. Rachel is already forming tears in her eyes, thinking about it. Oh, no. It's a Larry episode. Will Larry Dottilio visit the even studio? Get Don't cake. know. No, he doesn't get cake, but he helps. Uh, he helps uh, Garibaldi get something. So we'll get into that <laughs> next <laughs> time. No, no, on not the, really. well, he tries. He tries. It's he Garibaldi's tries. fault. We'll get. We'll get into it. Ben, where can people find you and your podcast on the internet? Uh, you can look us up. It's the last best Babylon 5 podcast or last best B5 on Twitter or Instagram. Yep, you are on there and you're doing all those things. Uh, we said it last time when we had Sean and Steve on, but uh, you guys managed to get an interview with uh, Jinxo himself, Tom Booker, which I would highly recommend to any B5 fans. It has some interesting insights, some fun, cute stories, and uh, really gives you a kind of viewpoint of what it was like on that season one production and that set. And yeah, and how underneath what we would all consider to be a bad episode there was something happening there there's a universe that exists where he is via yeah there's a universe where tom booker could have been tom booker would have been in this scene where it's just like don't do this lando now can you imagine it don't don't do it lando no i i did think that when i watched it (laughs) this time i sincerely thought about that i was like what would it be like if uh if tom booker was in the scene i was what i say is i don't know you, you 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 you've got the tom booker hotline I'm not saying you should send him the script to that scene and just, uh, you know, <laughs> get him get him to do it for you. Self-tape. Yeah, get him to do it for you. Dance, monkey, dance. But yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> but people will have the information for the Last Best B5 podcast in the description as well as our own stuff. You can find us on all the social media platforms of your choice. Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. We're always posting on there, interacting. Uh, uh, we interact with the B5 boys, the Babylon boys. Uh, so that's a fun time. You can see us having little tit-for-tats on the interwebs. Uh, we have a email in which you can email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, concerns, or things you want to send our way, we also have a Patreon in which you can support us. Use your, uh, what's this thing? Money? To support us and get extra bonus we content. We accept dollars, not credits. 
Dollary dues is uh, the preferred method. Uh, but okay. we have content you on there. We've, we've done all the Star Trek movies, Ben. So we actually did talk about Insurrection uh, and we talked about its music. We are doing the X-Men films currently, mm-hmm. going through those Fox uh, X-Men movies, including Deadpool and the Wolverine movies. And and uh, one day we'll do, uh, what's it called? New Mutants, a movie mm-hmm. that I think no one saw. Uh, but we'll see it one day. And uh, we have... I think at this point we've done all of the best and worst rated episodes mm-hmm. of any given Star Trek according to IMDb. Mm-hmm. So you can hear our yeah. takes on all of those. Uh, so that will be good. And we just have uh, episodes where we give our thoughts on random pieces of media, whether it's podcasts, TV shows, movies, board games, games, all that. Mm-hmm. It's a grand old time. Join us. Be a yumling. And uh, come aboard if you have the means to do so. But uh, that is uh, it from all of us. Ben, you're a B5 fan. And mm-hmm. this is a great episode. And we said there were things that could have made it better, like having Keffer and Lou and uh, more homosexuality. But like... Jakar horniness. <laughs> yeah. The, the, those are the only things that would take it from a B- minus to an A+. Plus. But uh, no, there's one thing that really would have kicked it up a notch. What's that? If Jakar said what he said in The Gathering, which is... Good eating to you. Good eating to you. <laughs> you're right. Ah, Mr. Kelly!